Well, uh, as, as I was asked to uh, bring God's word to you today, I was praying and, and Jim asked me if I'd like to deal with Hebrews chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at that in a second. And as I was reading it, I was trying to think, okay, Lord, what is it that is the theme of what we're trying to see in this passage? And uh, this term really started popping to me. It, it must be a term that a lot of people are using these days. As a matter of fact, the other day I was uh, asking a person how they were, and I said, how are you today? And they looked back at me and said, perfect. Oh, well, that's really good. And then I was at a restaurant the other night. And it was one of those restaurants, you know, a little pricier where you read from right to left. <laughs> some, some of you do that? Yeah. And, and so I ordered the, uh, the mahi-mahi sandwich. And the waitress goes, perfect. She said, would you like anything to drink? I said, the water is fine. Perfect. Wow, I didn't realize the impact I had on people like this. And then we were doing worship planning this past Thursday, and somebody asked me in worship planning, they said, are you going to include this in your message? And I said, yes. And they go, perfect. I got an email last night from somebody and asking me a question, and I responded to them. They said, thanks. Perfect. Man. So I just want you to know, spend a little time with me, and, and things are going to be perfect, I guess, or, or not so much. Because the reality of it is this. If I wasn't such a cheapskate, I really wanted the steak instead of the sandwich, but so it was a little less than perfect. And, and you know, uh, some of the things that go on in life are really not so perfect. But today we are going to look at something that is. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 7 at the perfect high priest. So if you have your Bibles, take your Bibles with me to the seventh chapter of the book of Hebrews. And I would like to read you a rather long passage, but I think it's important that we get the context of what's taking place. We're going to pick it up in verse 11. And if you need to look in the Bibles in the rack in front of you, it's on page 971. 971, Hebrews chapter 7, beginning at verse 11. It says this, If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that the Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. But what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it is weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced, by which we draw near to God. And it is not written without an oath. Others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest when an oath, with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, 
Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Let's uh, seek the Lord in prayer together, shall we? Father, as we come to you today, as we look into your word, I pray that it is your word through the power of your spirit that would speak to individuals and lives. Lord, uh, we thank you for this passage of scripture and the privilege we have to dig into it. Lord, it is really my prayer that we would see Jesus today. And uh, for those of us who find ourselves in, in various situations, in various needs, in various pains, in various joys, may we see Jesus. And we praise you and thank you. In your name we pray, amen. It is said that the listeners, the Hebrews, when they first had this text read to them, that Hebrews 7 became the most important chapter in their thinking. Why was that? Well, it dealt with the sacrificial system, and it dealt with the priesthood. Two things that they were very familiar with. Things that they had been, they'd grown up all their lives understanding. Things that had been part of their history. And so this whole new priesthood that was being explained to them was something that was vitally important to who they were and what they were doing. Now, as we look at the nature of the priesthood, we can see a number of things that are brought out in verses 11, basically through verse 21. And we won't spend a lot of time on all of that, but there were priesthood, priestly things that were, that were important to understand. For instance, priests came from the line of Levi. They were called Levitical priests. But all Levites were not priests because you see in verse 11 it says there, there's another qualifier, and that qualifier was they needed to be a descendant of Aaron. So they, they not only had to be a Levite, they had to be a descendant of Aaron. One thing about priests is that their role was one that, that really was respond, their responsibility was to do their priestly duties, but really not be involved in any government type of area. That is why most of the, the times we read about priests throughout the nation of Israel, there naturally was either a judge or a king that was ruling, and the priests would come under their leadership. Another thing about priests is, of course, they were the ones that had to be there when people came to sacrifice for their sin. You see, because sins needed to be paid for under the sacrificial system with some type of animal, be it from anything from a dove to, to a lamb to a goat to a cow, those type of things needed to be sacrificed to cover for sins. And priests were the intermediaries of, that did that. So if you committed a sin under the sacrificial system, and let's say it was worthy of you bringing a sheep, what would happen is that 
the, the priest would bring you in, the place you take your hand and place it on the head of that sheep and slit the throat and kill that sheep and it would die under the weight of your hand from the cut of the knife. And the priest was the one who then would cover those sins as an intercessor between God and man. Their role was very temporal in nature. As a matter of fact, you know the, the term of a priest? The book of Numbers talks about it. A priest served only 25 years. What a sweet deal, huh? Started at 25, ended at age 50. And, and that was the term of a priest. We, we see that their duties were day in and day out because of the sacrifices. Why was that? Well, believe it or not, people sinned back then. <laughs> Just like we sin. Aren't you thankful you don't have to do an animal sacrifice day in and day out or every month for your sins? I mean, praise God, right, that we have the final sacrifice, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But the, everything about the priesthood screamed temporary. This is temporal. None of it is lasting. And another thing about priests is, again, they served not because of godliness, but because of ancestry. Again, you'll see that in that passage. They served because of who their ancestors were. That did not guarantee priests were godly people. As a matter of fact, we can see that very clearly in two of four of Aaron's sons. What happened to them? They, they sacrificed an improper sacrifice, and as a result, they were struck dead. We also see it in the, Lev the Levitical rebellion of Korah with Moses, and when Korah led this rebellion among the Levites, and of course, Moses said, choose, choose our side with God or choose Korah's side. And God opened up the earth and swallowed hundreds, if not thousands, of the Levites who were being disobedient to God. So just because they were, had the good bloodline did not guarantee that they were truly who God wanted in that place. We also then see, if you, if you go back just real quickly with me to chapter 5, you can see some things in chapter 5 when we switch to the whole area of a high priest. And if you see in chapter 5, it says, Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness." This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the sins of the people. So we know one thing about the priest. What do we know there about the high priest? He also is weak. He also is a sinner. He also has to deal with the whole sacrifices. But all of a sudden we see in chapter 7 and actually 5 through 7 a person that is introduced to us. Actually the person was introduced in Genesis chapter 14 and his name is Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is an interesting study, and many have studied for centuries of who Melchizedek is and what his role was. We, we see him in, in Genesis 14. Pastor Jim's going to deal with that passage specifically next week in relation to Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. But we then see Melchizedek in the book of Psalms in chapter 110, a great messianic psalm. But as a general idea of, of who Melchizedek was and, and what his role was, we see it most pronounced in Hebrews chapter 5 through chapter 7. And it gives us an idea that this Melchizedek was unique. 
One thing unique about him was he not only was a priest, he was a king. And it says in chapter 7, verse 1, as it says, it says, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of the Most High God. So he had this dual role. Now, a lot of people have debated who Melchizedek was. The Samaritan tradition says that Melchizedek was actually a king that was under their lineage and had his kingdom near the Jordan River on Mount Gerizim. That's where the country of Salem was in their tradition. Jews believe very strongly in the nature of Melchizedek as a very godly king. And the Jews themselves set Melchizedek up as an example of godliness in comparison as an antitype to the king of Sodom. So they look upon that in that way. We as evangelicals have, have debated this for a long time. Who in the world is Melchizedek? Some really strange things have been written about him, and, and even scripture makes it a bit confusing. For instance, one of the outlets that someone, some have said is that Melchizedek, Melchizedek was really a theophany of Jesus in the Old Testament. What that means is that Jesus appeared in the Old Testament. We see that that happened on several occasions. But for Melchizedek uh, to have been Jesus in a theophany is a little bit of a stretch to me. One is because we see in this text, and if we look through the entire process of Hebrews 5 through 7, it, you can see that it says Melchizedek was without father and mother. Now, the reason for that is his genealogy simply may not have been listed. But we know what about Jesus? Did Jesus have an earthly mother? Yes. So we see that about Christ. It also does not say that Melchizedek was Christ. It said it was, he was like Christ. So some have that opinion. Others have an opinion that Melchizedek was an angel. Uh, that's a bit of a stretch too in my mind because angels, when they appeared, appeared for a very short time. And as you'll see from Genesis 14, Melchizedek was around for a long time when it came to Abraham. Martin Luther suggested that Melchizedek is very much of how the Jews and the Samaritans believe was a very real king. A very real king that was righteous and godly and fulfilled some areas of being the high priest. What was interesting is Melchizedek was during the lifetime of Abraham, and we know the Levites and the eventual Aaronic line did not happen for generations later. So what's taking place here? Well, I believe, as Luther said, that Melchizedek is a type of Christ that's given us as an example. For instance, Boaz, in the book of Ruth, was a type of Christ. He was a kinsman redeemer to give us an idea of what that looks like. Moses gave us a type of Christ when he said, Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. It was a type. Uh, the sacrificial lamb was a type that became the Lamb of God. So I don't want us to get hung up on Melchizedek this morning because that's really not the point of the message. Other than to say that Melchizedek is given us as a high example of what an eternal different priesthood would look like, something that was totally foreign to the people hearing this for the very first time. Now, this is a great passage for these people that were hearing this, but it's a great passage for us because it gives us some of the great doctrinal truths of why we believe in the supremacy of Jesus Christ. We sang songs about that this morning, and I pray that we would understand even in a greater way of what that looks like. Now, 
If we look in chapter 7 once again, drop down with me to verse 22, because as we look at these priestly areas, we come down to this, and it says, because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, that better covenant is going to be described in chapter 8, and we'll be getting there in a couple weeks. But let me just give you a little bit of hint. The new covenant dealt with something totally apart from the law. It helped with about the whole issue of love. And what that meant as we looked at what God did for us through Jesus Christ. But as we see the next area, in the next few verses here, beginning in verse 23, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he was a permanent priesthood. So what are some of the things we see immediately about what I would call this perfect priesthood? Number one, it was eternal. It was eternal. It went from before time began to time in the future. It was forever. The other thing is it was permanent. Now get this, no longer was the need of sacrifices over and over and over again be needed because Christ as the high priest was a permanent high priest and the solutions were permanent. The next thing, as it says here in verse 16, if we drop back just that, it says, again, priests received their role on the basis of ancestry, and we see Christ here was not on the basis of ancestry. If we went to dug out a little more in that passage, as a matter of fact, we know Christ came, the bloodline of Christ came through the tribe of Judah, not through the tribe of Levi. So this was all new, this was all different, this was all changing for these people. And that is because... Only this perfect high priest could provide a perfect salvation. A perfect salvation. And if you look with me in verse 25, if there is one passage of scripture out of the book of Hebrews that would be a great one to memorize, it is verse 25. Let's read it. Therefore, it says, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Let's do that again. Read it with me. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Therefore, so anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, you, the, old, the old cliche is you find out what it's therefore. There's a change. There's a shift that's happening. Therefore, he is able. Therefore, he is able. Now, now drop down just real quickly to uh, verse 26. It says, Such a high priest truly meets our need, who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. This priest has characteristics that no one has ever seen before. Holiness, pure, righteous, set apart in the heavens. And not only that, we know he can do anything. He's omniscient. He's all-powerful. He's here and present. He never changes. It, this high priest, is God incarnate through Jesus Christ. So we see this fact, and we see that he is able. And I don't know what that means to you today, but when I think of the fact that he is able to, to meet the needs of life, this is... This has been a hard week for a lot of you, I'm sure. I'm sure there's been needs uh, that have come 
just things that have come through my office, whether through our missionary family or, or through some within our congregation. Uh, found out this past week of one of our, our, our dear missionaries who has served the Lord faithfully for many, many years, who uh, found out he has a brain tumor that is inoperable, and we don't know what's going to happen. His name's Phil Arndt. If you remember to pray for Phil, pray for Phil. It's going to take a miracle to, to see him healed. Another one of our missionaries, Sybil Beloy, in Mozambique, is waiting on, on a surgery to help with a brain tumor she's developed. I mean, the sickness and disease, but God is able. God is able to perform a miracle if he so chooses. Uh, there's, I found it this week of uh, people struggling with children with mental illness and how to deal with it. It's difficult, it's hard, it's painful, but God is able. Some of you are, are questioning what, if you're going to stick it out in a marriage, but God is able if you give it to him. Some wonder how you're going to make it without having the income you thought you would have, but God is able when you depend on him. He is able. Not only is he able, what does it say? He is able to save. He is able to save. Now, when you think that, go and drop down with me just a moment to verse 27. In verse 27, it says, Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. What did we, had we just read a few minutes ago in chapter 5? What did the other high priest have to do? They had to sacrifice. They had to do, oh, thank you. I like the interaction. They had to do that stuff. And you know, the issue is, this is a new paradigm. This is a new way in what God is introducing through the perfect high priest. But as we see, he is able to save. Much of Hebrews, in, in the rest of this book, deals with this huge paradigm shift, this huge change off the sacrificial system. Because no longer were the sacrifices of bulls and goats going to be required. Matter of fact, in chapter 10, it gives this ominous says that sign that says all of those sacrifices, all of that blood, all of that system you've been used to never took away one sin. It only covered sin. And guess what, folks? We need forgiveness that is complete. And that is why when it says he is able to save, what's the next word? Completely. He is able to save completely. Now, <laughs> you know, when I think of that, I, I can't help but, but come to the understanding that when Jesus was, was hanging on the cross for us to pay the penalty for our sin, we know that we, we sang about the, the pain he endured. We know that intellectually. Understanding it completely is beyond us because we have never endured that type of pain. But what had taken place with the sacrificial system was this. You see, because every high priest every year at a certain time of the year just went by in the month of October, but during Old Testament times would have to prepare themselves for weeks in advance. They'd have to wash their garments. They'd have to cleanse themselves. They'd have to keep a good record of all the sins that had been confessed to them and confess them again and prepare for the day of atonement. When the high priest after he'd done all his preparation work, would enter the holy place and finalize all this preparation. And then finally, the priests that were attending him would put bells around the fringe of his garment and tie a rope to his ankle. And then, I'm sure with fear and trembling, every high priest 
would go behind, beyond that curtain as thick as my fist or thicker into the holy of holies, into the very presence of God. And if he had failed to do one cleansing properly or failed to remember one of those sins, what would happen? He would die. The holy presence of God would strike him dead. The other priests would hear it. They'd pull him out by the rope. You see, that's where the sacrificial system all of a sudden changed because when Jesus hung on the cross, when he sacrificed his life so that we would have remission of sins, and when he cried on the cross, it is finished, what happened to that curtain as thick as my fist in the Holy of Holies? Did it have a, did it have a garment malfunction? Did it just fall to the floor? No, what happened? It split from top to bottom, and the most vile sinner could look in and not even get sick. Because what Jesus did is became that final sacrifice, because he can then claim to save completely. So if you here, are here this morning and you're wondering, what, what is salvation truly through Christ? Why do I need it? It's because you need it, because only Jesus can save you completely. Nothing else can. As a matter of fact, if we look at, at, this, at the end of verse 28, we see that he is made perfect forever. He's made perfect forever, and only Jesus' perfect sacrifice could accomplish that. Now, it doesn't stop there in that verse, does it? He is able to save completely those who come to God through him. You see that? Those who come to God through him. Folks, we live in a day and age that that's not very tolerant, is it? That reflects John 14, 6, doesn't it? I am the way, the truth, the only way, the only truth, the only life. The only way to come to God is through him. And I'm sorry if it's offensive to you, but you can't come to God through Muhammad. You can't come to God through Buddhism or Hinduism or through Joseph Smith or through an earthly priest. You can only come to God through Jesus. And as we see this, we see his role not only in salvation, but coming to God in our own need. Because believe it or not, even though we don't have to kill animals, we still sin, right? But isn't it amazing what John 1.9 says? You know it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't we thankful that we have a God who mediates for us? As a matter of fact, 1 Timothy 2.5 says this. It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. He is the only one that can mediate between God and us. Nothing else can, only Jesus. So as we think of that, as we think of this God who not only we can come to God through Christ and only him alone, it goes on to tell us that he wants. He lives to intercede for us. What an example. He lives. Now we know he's alive because of the resurrection, amen? But not only that, he lives. And kind of the, the intention within that word is that he's passionate about living to intercede for us. What are you passionate about this morning? I mean, you know, can't be passionate about Michigan football, that's for sure. But, but what are you passionate about? Think about that. Jesus is passionately interceding for us. So that means he's got a place in heaven 
that must allow him to be passionate about this intercession. And what is that place? He sits at the right hand of God. Right hand of the Father, that's right. And he intercedes for you and for me. That means when Bruce Hughesby messes up and he's got a really stinky attitude because of the way the, the guy drives in front of me and I get all bent out of shape, and I come and I confess, Lord, that sin, that up in heaven there's the accuser, there's Satan himself saying, why do you love that Bruce Hughesby? Why do you care about him? Look, he always messes up. Jesus says, I, I think he opens his hands. He says, forgiven. <laughs> or how about that student who, who cheated on a test and, uh, and they confessed it and realized it was wrong. But what happens in heaven? Satan's up there saying, hey, look at that student. Look at that gal. She, she really messes up all the time. Sure, she, she confessed it to you, but you know what? You should just dump her. What does Jesus do? Yeah. Forgiven. Or how about you as a business person? Maybe your ethics, maybe you're mean. Maybe you're unkind, and you realize that, that you can't let your anger and, and these things control you, and you've confessed before the Lord to change you, and yet Satan's up in heaven accusing you before Jesus, saying, why do you put up with that? Forgiven. That's what our perfect high priest does for us. That's what gives us this incredible understanding and assurance of our role in Christ. Now, does that mean we just keep on sinning? Well, that goes back to Jim's message from a few weeks ago. No, we're on this journey, and, and like Romans 6.1 says, we should not continue in sin that grace may abound. But we see this ultimate high priest. Look back in chapter 5 with me for just a moment. And we'll see this again because it not only do we see that intercession, but look at verse 7. It says, During the days of, of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save. Remember, remember Jesus in John 17, what he was doing? He was praying, interceding, petitioning the Father on behalf of who? His disciples. Because he knew that they were going to be persecuted. He, know that they, he knew that they were going to go through tough times. And Jesus was interceding even then for them. Jesus, our perfect example. Jesus, the perfect mediator. The perfect intercessor. This was brought home to me in a really uh, dynamic way. Um, my wife actually reminded me as I was preparing to, to speak this morning. This past summer, I was at a concert, a Christian concert, with a guy named Matthew West. Some of you were there. Wes was there. And uh, he told a story. He actually had a videotape of a story. And it was a story of a gal named Renee Napier. And in 2002, Renee's daughter Megan and her friend Lisa were driving a car, and a man named Eric, a 24-year-old guy, smashed into their car and killed both of them. He was a drunk driver. Eric was sent to prison for 22 years because of his offense. And Renee started a work of going out throughout Florida. She was from Pensacola, Florida, and throughout Florida would speak about the evils of drunk driving. But she said, after a few years, this wasn't enough. I realized that just going out and speaking that the Lord was saying something to me about Eric. And so what she did is she got permission to visit Eric in prison and told Eric that she forgave him. She forgave him that he had driven drunk that night and killed his daughter. So she went on in her speaking, and Eric continued to serve his sentence. And 
she started to be bothered even more. She said, I can't keep doing this. Even though I've forgiven, there's something more that God wants me to do. And as she prayed, God revealed it to her. She went to her family, and they said, are you nuts? But she said, I've got to do this. And then her family joined us, joined her. And then Lisa's family also joined her in petitioning the court that Eric's sentence be reduced. Because of their petition and their interceding on behalf of Eric, Eric was released after 11 years. And in 2012, this is the picture of when Eric was told that he'd only have to serve a couple more years of his sentence in the arms of Rene Napier. He was released in November of 2012. Today, Eric says it's because of Rene and her testimony that he came to faith in Jesus Christ. It's, yeah, it's because of her forgiveness that he's trying to see how he can be forgiven and serve others. And as a result, he goes out week after week with Renee and they speak together about the power of forgiveness, of the power of intercession. And you know what Renee says today? She said, I lost a daughter, but I've gained a son. Now, that's the power of intercession tied with forgiveness. Now, I don't know about us today. We're coming up to Thanksgiving, right? I loved a sign I saw in Ohio last week. It said, Thanksgiving may be a day, but it should be a lifestyle. But think about this in light of, of us. I know some of you are probably here today that you need to intercede on behalf of someone through forgiveness. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a child you haven't talked to in years or a parent you haven't related to. Maybe there's something else and you need to apply what Renee applied to her life and seek God and let the Spirit guide you to obedience, to go to the ultimate high priest, the one who cares, the one who understands, the one who forgives. Or maybe you're here today and you've never understood the God who can save completely, who desires you to have a personal relationship with him. He longs for you to have that intimate relationship so you understand his forgiveness. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're in a situation today where you haven't thought about the eternal perspective that our ultimate high priest, our perfect high priest provides, and you've been living just for today, providing, trying to get that next paycheck that's bigger and better to provide more of the material things of life. I don't know where you are today, but I pray that you would see Jesus as your perfect high priest who paid the sacrifice for all of us so that we don't have to do those sacrifices day by day and who gives us this incredible hope by interceding for us day by day on our behalf. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way it does teach and challenge and I pray convicts. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who not only is able, but you are able to save completely those who come to God through Jesus and that you live to make intercession for us day by day. Lord, how we rejoice in that, that you are truly mighty to save. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.